0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Morrissey Movement. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss and share one aspect of fitness and one aspect of medicine. Being a general surgeon and a garage gym athlete, I have a strong passion for both of these aspects of life. So sit back and enjoy the show. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I am in no way forming a patient-doctor relationship. While the aspects discussed in this podcast are medically accurate, you should always discuss with your doctor any questions that you may have about the content. You should always discuss with your doctor before starting any new exercise or dietary changes. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Dr. Chris Morrissey back with another episode of the Morrissey Movement. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. Also, keep the emails coming in with new topics and new content ideas. It really helps me out and gives me a lot more things to talk about instead of me just coming up with content all the time, so I really appreciate that. So I decided I'm going to do some macronutrient talks over the next three weeks or so, so I just decided I'm going to start with fat. Um... I know back in the 80s and 90s, Fat had a lot of bad press and was actually looked at as being an evil entity, but... You know, now we know a lot more things about fat that it has so many functions in the body and it can also be used as fuel. So I know there's a lot of literature there on nutrition and I thought I would go ahead and break it down for you. Plus I just got done doing some reading on fats and different molecules. So that kind of sparked the idea of today's show as well. So today I'm going to be going over the different types of fats, the different types of functions that they do for us, and also how you can incorporate them into the diet. So like I said, fats is one of the most misunderstood macronutrients that we have But we now know that fats or lipids, what they're also called, have so many functions, uh, some of them that you may or may not have thought about. So just to list some of these for you, um, for one, it can provide fuel. Um, Fat can be a major source of energy for exercise, especially if you're doing some zone two training, which I've discussed in a previous podcast. You can go back and listen to that for more details on that. Um, Fat also provides insulation as body fat stores. It can aid in absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, which are primarily vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. Um, Fat can also act as an energy storage system. It can supply essential fatty acids for us. It can provide padding for body structures and organs. Fats also serve as a component of cell membranes and other cellular structures. Fats promote healthy skin, and they also can be uh, supply building blocks for other biomolecules. So lipids themselves occur in both plants and animals but vary slightly in their chemical composition so by definition lipids are compounds that are soluble in organic solvents but not in water mammal fats tend to be more saturated compared to fish oils and plant oils beef is definitely more saturated than chicken and pork the degree of hardness of a fat at room temperature is an indication of how saturated that is so Approximately 98% of the fat in your body is made up of triglycerides and fatty acids. The triglycerides and fatty acids compose the fats and oils in your diet also. The difference between fat and oil is fairly simple. Fat is solid at room temperature, whereas oils are liquid at room temperature. Triglycerides themselves are made up of three fatty acids, hence the term tri, and then a three-carbon glycerol molecule the hundreds of different fatty acids come in various lengths between four to 24 carbons in length. Fatty acids are grouped as follows. So short chain fatty acids are four to five carbons long. Medium chain fatty acids are six to 12 carbons long. Long chain fatty acids are 13 to 19 carbons long. And then very long chain fatty acids are 20 or more carbons in length. So As far as the saturation of fat goes, what does that mean? Um, There's a few different things I will kind of go over here about those. So I'm going to break down the difference in the different saturated fats. So to start with, regular saturated fat are fatty acids that have no double bonds. I'll get into what that means here in a minute. So fats that are high in saturated fat, again, are solid at room temperature. The main sources of these are animal fats such as meat and dairy and also tropical oils such as coconut or palm oils unsaturated fat are liquid at room temperature vegetable oils are a major source of the unsaturated fat in the diet foods such as avocados fatty fish like salmon or tuna most nuts and also olives are good sources of unsaturated fat hence the term olive oil Um, polyunsaturated fat are fatty acids that have two or more double bonds and usually liquid at room temperature primary sources again are vegetable oils some nuts and seeds Polyunsaturated fats also provide the essential fats such as omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, which I will also discuss later on here in the podcast. Then there's this other thing called trans fatty acids, um, which is made made during partial hydrogenation of vegetable oils. So trans fats are known to increase your bad cholesterol levels or your LDL, which stands for low-density lipoproteins. It is now required for nutrition labels to actually list the trans fatty acids on there. So, what does trans really mean? And it is not meaning changing as in transgender. Um, in Latin, trans actually means across. So, what does this mean? So, if you ever took organic chemistry or biochemistry, you might understand this. So, I'm going to kind of nerd out here for a minute. And this being audio, it's going to be kind of tough to. Um, visualize what this is. So if you really care, you can get out a piece of paper and a pen and follow along with me. So imagine the letter, capital letter H. So it's made up of two vertical lines connected by a horizontal line. So the horizontal line is made up of two carbon atoms. So to connect the two carbon atoms together, you just draw a C with a line to the right, and then another C with another line next to that off to the right. Now that you've done that, so you have C dash C dash. Now draw a line to each side of the C and also on the tops and bottoms. So you'll go, if you go back to the first C, you'll draw a line up, you'll draw a line to the left, and you'll draw a line down. Now you'll do the same with the one that's on the right. So now this molecule, once you're done drawing, actually represents saturated fat. So there are no double bonds, which in biochemistry or organic chemistry, this looks like an equal sign. So a bond in chemistry looks like a minus sign. This is how the molecules stick together. Unsaturated fats will have an equal sign or a double bond between carbon atoms. So in the same idea that I gave you above about drawing an H, write a C, then another C on the paper. Now connect the two C's with an equal sign instead of a minus sign. Then above the both of those C's, draw a straight line and put an H above those like you did before. Now you have a monounsaturated fat, so the making it monounsaturated is there's one double bond or an equal sign between the two. Okay, now the tricky part of the trans fat. So remember I said that it means across in Latin, right? So now if you want to draw the C equal sign C, then on the first C, draw the line above it with an H above that. Now on the second C, draw a line below, and now draw another H, which the H stands for hydrogen bond. So, or I'm sorry, hydrogen um, atom, not hydrogen bond. So the H's are across from each other. So one is the top, one is on the bottom, or you can look at it as being on opposite sides of the C. So great, now you can do organic or biochemistry. So sorry for the nerding out again, but sometimes it's helpful to see the differences without really having to understand all of that jargon. So um, if you can visualize Unsaturated, meaning there's double bonds or equal signs between the carbon atoms, whereas saturated means there's no double bonds. All of them are full with hydrogen ions, so there's no way to add any more to this. So now I mentioned another term earlier called hydrogenation. So this is the process by which the hydrogen atoms are added to unsaturated fatty acids, thereby eliminating the double bonds. So hydrogen atoms end up being on different sides of the chain, hence the trans example again. So, that kind of breaks down the different types of um, fats that are can be demonstrated in diet or whatever you want to look at it. So... Now, I did mention cholesterol earlier. Um, There's two main components of cholesterol without getting too medical. There's basically the good and the bad, kind of like Star Wars, where you have the good and the dark side of the force, right? So the good cholesterol is known as your HDL, which stands for high-density lipoprotein, and the bad cholesterol is the LDL, which is the low-density lipoprotein. So when you add these two numbers together, your LDL plus your HDL, this is how you get your total cholesterol, which is a common lab test. And again, I did go over this on a earlier podcast as well. So when you're given a cholesterol number, um, you'll also get the breakdown of the HDL versus the LDL, but the total number is what you m- typically will look at first. So cholesterol is a member of a group of fats called sterols. It is made up or made by the body and only occurs naturally in foods and that are animal in origin. The highest concentrations are found in liver and egg yolks and are also high in meats, poultry, whole milk, and cheese. Cholesterol has many important functions. It's the component of all cells. Actually, they are also precursor to bile acids, precursor to various sex cells such as testosterone and also adrenal hormones, precursor of vitamin D and also an important aid in brain and nervous system tissues the body needs constant supply of cholesterol for proper health and performance however too much has been linked to an increase in cardiovascular disease in some people so when you hear people having plaques that line their arteries like in the carotid arteries which are the arteries that go to the brain or the heart arteries or in the leg arteries this is typically cholesterol based also about 80% of your gallstones that people have gallbladder disease are also made up of cholesterol. So, again, cholesterol is also, you know, good and bad like we talked about before. Um, as far as what's a good level to be at for your total cholesterol, you try to want to shoot for under 200 with your bad cholesterol in an optimal sense being less than 100. So um, now there is more of a breakdown of cholesterol molecules, which are called apo lipoproteins, which is APO and then lipoprotein. But this is something that really isn't often tested in mainstream medicine. You might have to go to a functional medicine provider or um, another specialist that may order this for you. It is something worth investigating indeed if you do have high cholesterol to see if you actually have true bad cholesterol that's in your blood or not. Um, there's different sizes of molecules that this apolipoproteins can measure, but that's kind of beyond the scope of this for right now. Um, as far as digestion goes, lipids take the longest to break down and digest due to their being insoluble in water and also having a very complex structure in nature. So as food travels through the mouth and the stomach, the digestion begins with mechanical, you know, by simply chewing and breaking up the food and then going down the esophagus and getting into the stomach, the stomach does a churning type of motion kind of going back and forth mixing the um the food together and also chemical breakdown with various digestive enzymes starting with the salivary salivary enzyme that's in your mouth so like i said fats take the longest to also empty from the stomach which can actually be four hours or more depending on the meal that was ingested so This is the main reason from a surgical standpoint that we ask when the last time someone ate and also what the meal was. If someone went to McDonald's and had a traditional high fatty meal, it would take the stomach longer to empty and digest. So if you ate that and then came to the ER with an acute appendicitis, we typically will wait six to eight hours to ensure that your stomach is empty. If you're put to sleep with a full stomach, you have a high risk of aspiration pneumonia, which is when you suck food stuff into your from your stomach into your lungs. So now you've got more than one thing to recover from. So when you go under anesthesia, you lose your ability to protect your airway. Thus, if you end up vomiting, you'll most likely suck a lot of that stuff into your lungs, which is not good for anyone. So we try not to do that. So once the stomach... Or I'm sorry, once the food leaves the stomach, the fats are then broken down in the small intestine, which are then absorbed. Um, Primarily, this is done by bile. So bile is a thin, watery substance that's made in the liver and actually stored in the gallbladder, which I have gone over before in one of my first podcasts. In the small intestines, the fatty acids are then dissociated from the glycerol molecules and are re- reassembled and as they pass through the intestinal cells, so along the way, they're coated with a protein and then they pass into your lymphatic system. Approximately 60 to 70% of the ingested fat through your diet is absorbed via the lymph system and medium and short-chain fatty acids can then enter the bloodstream and be transported directly to the liver. So once it's in the blood, uh, fats and cholesterol are then transported with conjunction with special proteins called lipoproteins, which I talked about earlier. Fats that are not needed immediately are then converted to fat stores. The liver is the main processing center for fats. In the liver, fats can be used for energy and also modified by shortening or lengthening the fatty acids and then saturating or unsaturating fatty acids. The fats are constantly broken down, resynthesized, and used for energy. Now, when it comes to energy usage, especially during exercise, your body typically will use carbs first because usually we all have an excess of carbs, those of us that eat regular standard American diet or the SAD diet, as people may have heard before. But when you start having metabolic flexibility, meaning that you can actually train your body to burn both carbs and fats, you can train your body to actually use fat more than carbs. So if you're performing high intensity exercise like some sort of Metcon or a CrossFit style workout, you typically use carbs because they're readily available, they're easily broken down, and you get these from either immediately from the bloodstream or you start breaking down glycogen to synthesize glucose for energy. But by utilizing processes like intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, you can start using fat as an energy source especially if you train fasted in the morning or even late morning, early afternoon um, and do a lower intense exercise such as zone two run or biking, the energy curve actually gets shifted and you will mainly burn fat. So this is one way that you can actually, you know, kind of not really rapidly, but more efficiently burn fat to try to lose fat, which we all are trying to do in a Exercise fashions. So, from a caloric standpoint, fat molecules themselves actually have nine calories per gram, whereas protein and carbohydrates only have around four calories per gram. Alcohol actually has around seven calories per gram. So, when you're considering consumption, you could ingest twice as much carbs and protein as compared to fats, and you can be consuming the same amount of calories. So, that's one thing. You're, you know, fat is a little bit more dense and caloric. Issues. So when people have higher fatty um, diets, then you're going to tend to store more fat because it's twice the amount of calories ingesting compared to carbs and protein. Fat is also helpful for cushion and shock absorption. Like I said before, some of our organs are protected by fat, such as the kidneys, um, which this is called perinephric fat. This will help protect the kidneys from blunt trauma, even though they are protected since they're kind of deep inside the abdomen. Um, We also have a little fat around the heart, which is called pericardial fat. And then there's also a fatty apron that covers your small intestines called the omentum. And this actually hangs off the transverse colon and also have some blood vessels in this as well. So now another thing I'll talk about briefly is there's talk in the literature regarding the benefits of fish oil, particularly omega-3. Even though there is some studies that state they really don't do a whole lot, I personally feel they are beneficial. Um, It is one of the highest studied nutrients that there is and there's been approximately 14,000 studies looking at omega-3 fatty acids in general Um, omega-3 has been shown to actually have anti-inflammatory properties whereas omega-6 fatty acids have been shown to be pro-inflammatory in nature so where can you get some omega-3 other than a capsule form which is definitely an option if you're not a big fish or nut eater but you can get some of this from flaxseed butternuts hemp seed and walnuts Um, From a dietary standpoint, what other types of foods you can get if you ingest approximately 3 ounces of sardines or wild-cut salmon, 4 ounces of white tuna, 12 ounces of light chunk tuna, clams, or shrimp can be enough to get you the daily intake that you need. A lot of us are actually deficient in omega-3s. Um, there is a few lab tests out there that you can measure your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio to see if you do have a deficiency and would possibly benefit from supplementation. Um, There's a test um, which is, you can get this from www.omega3test.com, um, which is actually a finger stick. You can actually just stick your finger almost like checking your blood sugar, put a couple drops on a piece of paper and send it in, and they can analyze all of this for you. Um, There's also another functional medicine lab that I use that you can do this through another finger stick option or also um, with a blood draw as well. I actually am going to do this on myself to kind of see where I stand on this. I do take a omega-3 supplement at night. Um, I typically take about three capsules, so I try to ingest around two grams if I can. On average, we need about one to three grams per day of omega-3 to be beneficial for us regarding inflammation, recovery, etc. So that's kind of the wrap on the fat episode. Um, Hopefully this was informative for you. I try not to be too technical or chemical in nature. Um, I'm just trying to get some you know, broad spectrum knowledge for everyone. Now I do have another rabbit hole random internet fact of the week. Since it was just April Fool's Day last week, I was actually curious as to when and why this day occurred. My kids, especially my younger boys, love April Fool's Day, and they're always coming up with some sort of shenanigans to do to people, including the toothpaste and Oreo cookies example, food coloring and things, gluing various objects to various body parts, etc. But why did this day occur? I asked our foreign exchange student who we currently have, which is from France, and asked her if she dated anything over in France with this, just out of curiosity. She said that, yes, they do, but they just cut out fish and put tape on it and then put it on people's backs, sort of like a kick me sign. And then I asked her why they did that. And she said, I honestly don't know. We just have always done that. So after looking on the interwebs, I did find on one source, which is actually history.com, that April Fool's Day did originate in France. Some historians speculate that it dates back to around 1582, when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, as called for by the Council of Trent in 1563. In the Julian calendar... As in the Hindu calendar, the year began with the spring equinox around April 1st. People who were slow to get the news or failed to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January 1st and then continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April 1st became the butt of everyone's jokes and also hoaxes and were called April fools. These pranks included having paper fish placed on their backs and also referred to as... Poisson d'Avril, which I'm sure I completely butchered that in French, which means April fish and is said to symbolize a young, easily caught fish and a very gullible person. So I thought that was fairly interesting and ironic that we do have a foreign exchange student from France and that she also does the putting fish on people's backs, but I had no clue where that came from. So I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, there you have it. Thanks a lot for listening to the show this week. Please leave up to a five-star review. It really helps the show reach more people. And also, if you can, share it with two friends if you haven't already, just to get more people out there and listening to the show. You can also email me at the Morrissey Movement, T-H-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-S-E-Y, M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T, at gmail.com. For any ideas or feedback, I would really appreciate that. Now, get out there and get moving. And remember, movement is the best medicine.